Hey everyone, I'm Adam Williams and you're listening to Green New Deal Media's new series, Working Class Voices, a series that looks at how working class people view the climate movement. Today's guest is Kushi Himatlal, who contacted me to say that she would like to chat and I'm delighted that she did. Kushi, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on. So we've corresponded a little bit on email, so I know a little bit about your background, but what was it that, that sort of made you want to get in touch and, you know, and discuss sort of working class people within the climate movement? Yeah, so I think especially in bigger movements like XR and stuff, you don't really see people of colour, you don't see queer uh, people, you don't see people who are less able. So it's sort of like struck me that there's not much representation where the working class is meant to be, you know, diverse, I suppose, and it is. So, yeah. Great. Now, I'm at the point where I, I sort of truly believe that we, we need an eco-revolution um, because I feel like it's just, it's just too far gone now. Yeah. Um, now, from our emails, I know that you're someone that, that used to be a Marxist. You're very much involved in Marxism in different groups. Yeah. Um, but you're also now someone that's come away from that Marxist tradition. Yeah. Um, I suppose my first question is, what, what was it that first drew you to Marxism? And then what was it that sort of made you come away from it? Um, I think what drew me in initially was the sort of sense of community that the groups had. You know, it's quite, they're really supportive. And initially it was sort of that community I was looking for that sort of understood me and my views and the the first groups that were there were the Marxist groups. Um, And, you know, at first it was really good. We got on great and, and it was like a really good collective effort to make change and then what initially pushed me away was um so the group I was in I'm not going to say who it was um but because they uh, required a monthly sub and that was not something I could afford at the time so it was something that I had to let go of and then upon reading the text more it sort of didn't really fit as well for me because it sort of lacked uh diversity in my view so yeah now I've been sort of in and around the climate movement for about a decade and outside of a few small enclaves, now I know people that are communists within the climate movement and also people that are socialists, you know, but I would say that the mainstream of the climate movement is very much apolitical, which has been sort of a, a put down in a way because you often see at climate protests, you know, uh, banners that say system change, uh, not climate change. But outside of that sort of sloganeering, I haven't really heard the in-depth conversations about what system change, what it would entail. So have you actually um, connected at all with the climate movement? And if you have, have you had discussions or heard discussions about what system change would actually look like? Yeah, so I study uh, geography now. So uh, my main goal goal for that was to become part of the like the movement more and sort of you know take direct action I suppose um and I did do uh climate strikes quite a lot so I do feel quite connected to that so as for like real system change I feel like it's not really spoken about as much because it's like yes we need that change but what that change is it's not really spoken about there's sort of you know cuts emissions and this and that but it's not really like okay but what can happen now because there's change 
like there's negative stuff that's going on now that can't be cut if we just like you know turn the light off I suppose it's not really effective so I don't really know because it's not really spoken about yeah, and I think what what differentiates this movement to movements from the past, say say post sixties in the sort of the modern sense, that whenever there was these mass uprisings, <laughs> they very much were ideologically based, either within the communist tradition, the Marxist tradition, or a socialist yeah. tradition, um, and that was almost like an anchor, an ideological yeah. anchor that that unified the movement in many ways. Again, again, this is not all of the movement, but the mainstream of the movement, it seems to be like they're almost asking the powers that be and the power structures that we currently have mm. to do better or to change what's inherently an issue within the system. Um, it's almost like they're asking the people that are doing the damage just to be better, you know, um, and that reason and logic will, will change them. What, what's your thoughts mm. around that? Um I don't believe that, you know, the higher-ups are particularly going to change now. They've not changed for a long time. They're not going to change now. So they always say that system is all broken, but it's working as it should because it was made to benefit them. It's benefiting them. So, you know, it's working just fine, just as it should. So I think when they say change the system, I think they mean dismantle it and sort of create a new one. Sort of, you know, insert the right people there, give, like give them the power because they know what they're doing, I suppose, and listen to the science and all of that. So you said you've, you've sort of done some strikes with the climate movement. Is that right and stuff like yeah. that? So, so how, how deep are you in the climate movement at the moment are you in part of any particular group um are you a sort of an, an organizer are you someone that, that that delves in any political education or have you transferred any of your sort of revolutionary politics into the movement currently um i don't think so no because uh my main thing for strikes i um attend i go and maybe say a few words and that's about it but i do sort of take the more sort of political side, if you can say, to my studies, I suppose. Um, because of my degree, it's very much centred around climate change and I try to sort of revolutionise that as much as possible and seeing that it's, you know, being, like, rewarded by my department. So it makes me feel like there is hope that it could change. And if I were to go on, then I could do that, I suppose. Do you feel like there's avenues of or dialogue within the climate movement that allows these ideas to, to come to the fore? Or is it still quite marginal? I feel like the voices, like there's obviously students, there's obviously the working class, but I feel like most of the attention is primarily on the middle class, the white groups, and sort of it, it doesn't really appropriately show the whole situation especially like the global south as well so it's not it's not you know reflective if that makes sense yeah yeah of course yeah so just going back to sort of your your marxist and your revolutionary history mm-hmm. um are you are you unlike me i know you've come away from it now but are you like me someone who believes that without 
the working class fully engaged and on board that the climate movement will really struggle to, to become a sort of a revolutionary force? 100%. Because, you know, if like we've seen change happen because of strikes and protests. So, you know, if we keep that up, there, there, you know, there is a decent chance of change. But until then, you know, we've not got a lot of hope, especially for the government we've got now. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely, especially with the government we've got now, yeah. Um, <laughs> what would you say the environment movement would benefit most from if it was able to appeal to the more, more to the working class? Probably to diversify it as much as possible. Because, you know, you go out and, I know for me at least, I go out and I see these strikes and stuff and I see mostly white, able women, you know, uh, people. So it's sort of like, I don't see myself and a lot of my peers, we don't see ourselves in that, like, you know, um, some movements. We feel like we're not as included and we need to go another way to get change and make change. Okay. And when you used to protest sort of in working class spheres, which I assume you would have done, did you feel a lot more at home there, a lot more represented? Um, did you feel like that was more of a natural home for you than, than the environment movement currently? Yeah, of course. So um, especially at uh, climate strikes and stuff, um, they're a lot more representative I feel, but they don't really get the coverage as much as like XR or something, which I feel like there's a definite connect between race as well. Okay, yeah. And now that you've experienced both sets of protests, what would you say is the best of a working class protest? And what would you say is the best of an environmental protest? And um, um, is there any sort of synthesis that we can create like a hybrid that includes includes everyone i feel like for the working class protests there's definitely a stronger sense of community because i know that it's a lot more diverse so we do feel more connected to each other i suppose and then for the climate uh you know uh movement it's definitely more coverage that it gets like especially XR and Insulate uh, Britain and groups like that, I suppose, the, the coverage that they get is, you know, unbelievable compared to, like, a small strike on a Friday afternoon. So it's, yeah. Yeah, and I'm wondering if um, if it might be down to the amount of disruption that's being caused because when you look at sort of traditional working class strikes and riots, so just, just sort of in the modern era, we've got the miners' strikes and we've got the mm. poll tax riots. Now, in regards to, you know, violence, destruction and, um, and outrage and anger, you know, the working class, when they kick off, mm. yeah, People, you know, you know that's a riot. You know that's a strike. Yeah, yeah there's, there's no if buts or maybes. Mm -hmm. There's no dancing. There's no art. There's no music. This is. Mm -hmm. It almost feels like people are willing to die. Yeah. you know, and fighting 100%. the police. Um, yeah. and that's what's really changed. Um, you know, society. You know, the minor strike didn't win technically, mm -hmm. but the ruptures that they created through society are still ripples today. You yeah. know, the poll tax, poll tax riots was won, you know. Mm -hmm. So XR, you know, they get a lot of coverage now, but I just feel maybe that in the last 
since the 90s that working class protests have been diluted somewhat. You know, yeah. it's very much, you know, you put in a you put in um, a request at the council or whatever and they mm-hmm. and then you you set a date and it's you walk from A to B, you know, and you have your placards, mm-hmm. you know, and people chant the same slogans and yeah. then they go home. Yeah? Yeah. But there's no disruption, there's no violence, there's no, no urgency. And shoppers are literally walking through us on the phones as though we're not even there. Yeah. You know, so I think what XR have, have shown um, and, and groups like Insulate Britain and, and the student strikes, they've definitely shown that there has to be a level of disruption yeah. for anybody to take us seriously. Do you, yeah. do you agree with that? 100% with that, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, have you got any thoughts on, on, on that side of, of working class riots? Yeah, so I feel like um, I completely get where XR are coming from, but I feel like it's a lot harder like I said, it's like a spectrum of working class people. I feel like there are certain marginalised groups that aren't able to do and cause disruption, I suppose, in that sense. Like it's between that or a day's pay. It's between that or losing their job completely. So I feel like as much as we want to be loud and cause that disruption, it could cost us quite, you know, a lot. So I don't feel like it's that inclusive in that sense. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, but I think you've hit the nail on the head there because with working class people, they can't necessarily do without a day's pay or do do without losing a job, yeah? So mm-hmm. they're always sort of economically tied to the struggle and it yeah. almost it, it's almost like there has to be the last straw for us to kick off. But when yeah. we do, it's like, look out, do you know what I mean? So yeah, I, suppose, I suppose the key is to convince the working class that this is that climate breakdown is actually the last straw. This yeah. system, you know, is going to kill our grandchildren. You mm. know, so yeah. Um, yeah. What's your thoughts on sort of messaging? How do we message working class people so that they realise that this struggle is also yeah. their struggle? I feel like that's a really difficult one. Like I know that I've got friends who don't really care about particularly but it's strange because we're sort of like the younger kids like we're supposed to know about this and we're supposed to care but I feel like unless you've been directly affected by the situation it's hard to sort of picture you know you see pictures of it you know like floods and stuff and like oh yeah it's fine it's not here yet but until it affects you I don't think there's a way that you know hits as hard as that I suppose for them to like take notice and be like, oh God's happening now, I need to move, I need to make a riot, I suppose. Yeah. Now your your family's from India, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So what what I've kind of thought that we might be able to get some sort of class conscious solidarity is mm-hmm. be, is that the working class of the global south, such as mm-hmm. countries like like India, mm-hmm. um I would say the messaging almost has to be that their today is our tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering, as someone who has family in in India, Mm -hmm. um, is climate breakdown discussed as much in India that you know about? Has has any of your family members been directly, had any direct experience with climate breakdown over there? Have you got anything that, that you think the working class in the global north need to know about what is coming 
Yeah, so um, when I call them there, you know, uh, especially during the monsoon months, there's definitely floods. And I know I was there once and I got to experience it there and it was, we sort of got stuck in this road. And I think it hit um, my aunt, my uncle at the time, like hard that this is reality, I suppose. This is This is what we're going to live with. But then as soon as we got home, I was like, do you think... You know, that could get worse. That that could be your home. And it was sort of like, yeah, but it's, it's, you know, it's our reality, it's fine. If it gets worse, it gets worse. I'm like, yeah, but it can be changed. And they're like, I mean, no. I'm like, yeah. So it's like the, the, the discussion around it, it sort of shut down pretty fast because they sort okay. of accepted it as, like, what I get in my experience at least. Yeah. So do they... Do they directly relate it to climate breakdown? Is it is they is it still is there a sense of urgency that it is climate breakdown in India that you that you've got a set I mean, I know it's a massive country and you know it's, yeah. it's this is anecdotal of course. Yeah. But from what from what you do know, uh, is the global south in, in India are they directly connecting these weather patterns to climate breakdown? I feel like it's the least of their concerns now, you know, with Sure. everything else that they've got going yeah. on but if you sit them down and you explain it to them and even then they're like yeah but you know it's we've got to face it and just get on with it because we can't do anything else about it yeah and is that because they're sort of they're more concerned about sort of day-to-day worries and experiences is, is yeah. there much of a middle class in india or is it more of a, a wealthy class and a poorer class? What's the, what's the sort of structure in India? I think it's more like you've got the really ultra-rich and you've got everyone else and you've just got, yeah. you know, the homeless, which are like a class of the, their own, I suppose, at this sure, point. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think one, one thing that, that our middle class in the UK have been able to do, because, you know, in many mm. ways they're in an economic um, level where... They're not too rich, so they're sort of mm-hmm. detached from reality. Yeah. yeah. But obviously they're not poor, so they can yeah. they've got more leisure time, they've they're more they're more educated and they're more yeah. able to oh. maybe view things from a bird's eye view. And I think in many ways we have to thank the middle class because they've been yeah. able to they've been like the canary in the in the mine, you know, mm-hmm. where they've been able to have the the time and, and space to, to view yeah. things as they are. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, we've really got to, to thank them in many ways. And I suppose yeah. what you're saying is in India, there isn't that class that isn't completely detached, like the, yeah. like the ultra welfare. And yeah. everyone else is worried about sort of day-to-day concerns. Yeah. Um, that does make me worry that slightly that, that for us to connect with the working class mm-hmm. in, in India, mm-hmm. there has to be a recognition almost on both sides yeah. that, that things can change. Yeah, 100%. Um, and it, it sounds like from your from your experience, there's not necessarily a sense in India that from the work, working class that, that things can change. And, and that, I suppose that is yeah. a worry, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I feel like there's, you know, there's, it's not, it's not like a homogenous view. Like there, there are people who care, obviously. Of course, yeah. But for the most part, it's sort of, they've accepted the fact that, you know, it's going to happen. Like, they could be getting stormed, getting flooded, and they're completely fine with it. And I'm like, yeah. 
what are you thinking? It could change. It's possible. They're like, no, no, no. It's just a scary thought that yeah. we can't make. Yeah. yeah, and of course, I do want to stress as well. India is absolutely massive. You know, Kushi's. Yeah. We're talking about a tiny, a tiny speck in India that from <laughs> some anecdotal experiences. So I'm, I'm not here saying that it's this or that. We're just having a conversation yeah. about possibilities. But um, yeah, I, I do feel like you know, f- for the working class, class consciousness, you know, when manufacturing everything was was exported out of out of the West, mm-hmm. you know. I think we sort of kidded, kidded ourselves at the days of the working of the traditional working class are gone, but all we mm-hmm. did was export them. Yeah. So, you know, the people that make our clothes, they might not be in Lancashire mills anymore, but you know, they're in China. So the, the class system is there. It's just, ha- you know, it's harder to sort of point to and say it's that, that and that. But, yeah. But I still feel like the class analysis it is, is really one that's, um, that benefits benefits us um in regards to how how society works and i know you've come away from maxim but do you still think like a marxist i think there are times when i do there's times that i don't i think especially with the class things i do think that there's you know the upper class which rosie do particularly you know they hold all the power, I suppose. The working class are meant to to overthrow it and do like a revolution, but it's sort of hard to pinpoint how that's going to happen. So I feel like because there's so many groups, there's so many strikes and protests that you can't really pinpoint one revolution, I suppose. It's more of a gradual thing. But um, I do see the working class as more of a diverse group rather than one sort of small speck I suppose that Marx describes as it's too is it too structured it's too black and white maybe uh, in its yeah. analysis for yourself okay Kush so I was just wondering do you have any political working class heroes that first drew you to politics um so probably in the beginning um because I didn't really grow up with uh British news as much as like uh most people I think so mostly those Indian conservative, you know, who may like the really horrible laws and like they sort of drew, like drew me in probably out of spite. Yeah. Which it seems quite silly to look back now and be like, oh, I hate you <laughs> and I want to beat you. So I want to be where you are. Um, but it felt sort of like, oh, I like I sort of wanted to know more about them and why they did what they did so that really drew me in and then I sort of learned more about the left and I sort of was like I like that more because that can be the people that we don't like I suppose yeah. but what yeah. drew me in was those really really conservative Islamophobic people in India and how they get so much power from just spewing absolute hatred and it's like that that, that doesn't make any sense you're on national tv like spewing hatred about so many groups and it's completely fine you're being voted in term after term and it's just completely fine like that that only sit no you know sit like sit right with me I suppose so I was like nah yeah and is he any of the uh sort of the classic left heroes because I know that you you, you're your politics has been around, you know, the revolution we left and, and a lot of miners as well in the past. And I have some obvious ones, like I'm a big Che Guevara fan, 
you know, um, I like Hugo Chavez, you know, there's, there's a few there, but they're all, they're all quite classic. Have you got any, any of the classic ones that, that really sort of made you want to become part of the revolution we left or even in, in sort of India is any sort of a radical left revolutionaries in India that maybe we don't even know about over here? Um, I think it's definitely harder to find those people in India. It was definitely because um, the the more left there, that they're, they're still pretty centre. So it's like you're like left, uh, if that's a word, but not really left. Um, I think as like probably political heroes in that sense were like politics teachers for me okay. in that sense okay. because I didn't yeah. get as much exposure to the news because my dad would not play like. BBC at home or whatever and to sort of hear them like speak and how they sort of had their own heroes themselves and how they were inspired how they want to enact change that really like to me was like like if you were elected in that would be great so they were sort of the heroes for me I suppose and all like you know working class so it was like I really really relate to you yeah, that's that's quite interesting actually because there's you know a good a good teacher is priceless you know and there's a there's a bit of an attack at the moment on on academics being too left wing you know and, and the government's really trying to rein in you know this idea that, that that you can teach people about anti capitalism and stuff like that you know and it, it's quite scary isn't it? it's quite dystopian really um, I mean yeah listen we've all had our, we've all had our teachers that have inspired us which is which is fantastic. I think there's there's a there's a, a foundation stone that's missing in the environment movement, and that is that ideology, that that sort of analysis of of what what is going on right now and how to change it in a theoretical way. I think it really does lack that. It's almost like it's all action, no thought. And when I say no thought, I don't mean no thought in the action itself, but no thought about the system in any real depth, other than other than you know it's highly polluting and we've got to stop the pollution yeah what's your thoughts on that I feel like especially because I do geography you know the 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 theory the theory I suppose if you say of the climate movement is sort of the contents of my degree so I feel like because we get to learn about past environments and how they change and how if we know about those we can predict change and and how to stop negative stuff but I feel like there's because the the climate movement is so political at this point there's not much thought about the science behind it because there is but it's not like we should pay attention to those guys just a bit more because we know what like we can track back to millions of years like to predict what we, we saw then so if we could just get those patterns here and now for the movement to see, there's probably a lot more like, ah, yes, that took place. We're at this point in this stage now. That could be us gone in about 50 years. Like, that could be, like, a lot more concrete. I think that would help. Yeah, yeah. One thing I have um, noticed in in the last few years, not necessarily capitalism as a whole, but there's definitely been an emphasis in the environment movement about about solidarity with the global global south, which we've touched upon, but also sort of an understanding of of neo colonialism, um, and and that and how that is a, a big part of 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 um, you know climate justice and whatnot. But I still feel like they're treating that maybe as its as its own 
its own structure, not one that's not one that's inside a bigger structure that I would, you know, that I, you know, because I, I am a left wing revolutionary at heart myself. Um, you know that it's capitalism that is the big dog in this fight. You know, but breaking it down and focusing on certain aspects, but not linking it all together, um, I do find that as, as a flaw. But like I say, I, I have been quite. Um, impressed in the last few years about conversations within the environment movement about neo-colonialism and the impact that that's playing into things like climate justice so so there is there's definitely um progression there isn't there yeah like the ipcc report that just uh came out you know there were mentions of the impacts of colonialism and that was like huge like twitter blew up completely and i was like this is what we've been waiting for but then to see that the report didn't get as much coverage was like, oh, so never mind then. It didn't really happen, I suppose, if we're not going to look at it. And it's it, it's just weird to see like these big changes occurring and the media's just like, all right, cool, next. Like yeah, they care yeah, more next. about like... <laughs> exactly. Boris is like, we're tired of seeing him because we know he, he's wrong. Just, you know, kick him out, it's fine, you know. Yeah, no, hundred percent. But I think also as well, it's it's this education around neo-colonialism is probably directly linked with with the emphasis of the emphasis of bringing in people from marginal communities who have been able to educate the movement. And it just shows actually, you know, once the working class get more involved, there's more education to be had from the movement as a whole because you can see where the education is already happening. Um, with ideas around neo-colonialism and I suppose it's down to the working class to sort of situate that within capitalism as a whole and bring that argument to the whole conversation, yeah? It's definitely like you see marginalised groups how they're not really represented in movement as a whole so when they sort of bring that in but at the same time it's still centred around a very Eurocentric experience climate change as much they're trying to bring it in because essentially it's like you bring the experiences of the global south to us here it's not the other way around so I feel like where they're trying hard to incorporate both into one it doesn't work as long as the UK is sort of the centre of that movement I suppose yeah no very good point I suppose I'd like to end maybe on a positive if I can that what are you seeing as someone who's, you know, a striking, a student striker and whatnot? What are you seeing in regards to any revolutionary sparks or kernels that may be able to grow within the movement? Where are you seeing? Are you seeing it in the, in the youth? Are you seeing it in, in direct action? Um, is it anywhere from, from your previous life as a Marxist where there's potential sparks within the UK that could really maybe flourish and become a revolutionary force? I feel like definitely the student strikes there because it's sort of a generation of young people who know what's right and what's wrong and what they want to change and how. And I feel like once they sort of grow up and once we grow up, we can make that change. We can replace the leaders of now and sort of enact real change that's it's going to be global, I suppose. Hushi, it's been great to chat with you and thanks for coming on the show. 
And a big thanks to everyone that's listening. And if anyone in the audience would like to come and talk about your perspective in regards to the climate movement, you can DM our Twitter page or email me at mcr.gnd.podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, everyone, keep safe.